We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentators Ross Feingold. Good evening. And Xiao Xin Chung. Good to see you again. Tonight we'll be discussing reports that Taiwan and other non-United Nation member countries will be allotted some 1.3 million doses of the coronavirus vaccine in the first round of the COVAX vaccine distribution. The recall vote against City Councillor Huang Jie in Kaohsiung's Fengshan district. Headline-making news that Zhao Xiaokang is returning to the KMT and seeking the party's leadership post and the presidency. And the DPP getting a new chairman for its Taipei chapter office. But we'll begin with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Thursday morning sending out text messages and emails to local journalists saying that Taiwan was opening a representative office in Guyana. Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O oh took to the podium several hours later to say that an advanced team is now in the capital of Georgetown to find and set up the physical location. And the Foreign Ministry said that the Taiwan office was being established under an agreement signed in January the 11th between the two countries, which would also allow Guyana to set up a office here in Taipei. Now, the US Embassy in Guyana also welcomed the opening of the office and in a statement said that deepening ties between Guyana and Taiwan would advance their shared goals of prosperity and security and advance cooperation and development in Guyana on the basis of shared democratic values, transparency and mutual respect. While international media was citing Guyana's Foreign Minister, Hugh Todd, as saying the Taiwan office will facilitate trade and investment matters and does not represent the start of diplomatic relations between the two sides. Now all that bluster was turned on its head this morning as Guyana announced that it had terminated the agreement with Taiwan and that statement came only hours after Beijing urged the government in Georgetown to correct their mistake. Guyana's foreign ministry said that it's rolling back the agreement and will continue to adhere to its one China policy and it went on to say that it's not established any diplomatic ties or relations with Taiwan and as a result of the miscommunication of the agreement signed, the agreement has since been terminated. So some rather red faces here in Taiwan and at the US Embassy in Guyana this morning, no doubt, Ross. But of course, there's probably some rather large smirks being flashed around in Beijing as we sit here chatting. We we shouldn't concern ourselves too much with Beijing because uh, we're sitting here chatting in Taipei. So uh, I'd be more curious to know what kind of facial expressions the nice folks over there at MOFA, who we know are listening because they love your show, Gavin, uh, what kind of facial expressions they have over at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, I mean, of course, uh, no surprise that MOFA has issued a statement here uh, putting all the blame on China, but uh, you know that's that's kind of the easy way out, right? China wolf warrior diplomacy. They're they're so evil. I mean, we we know all that stuff. Uh, but you know, there there's going to be uh, there there needs to be some internal questions on this side as well, not just blame uh, China or blame uh, Guyana. So you know, uh, you know for example, uh, was all the to do yesterday necessary? You know, the press conference. Miss O held up a map of South America to show people where the country is. I mean, I think, uh, you know, maybe the people in Guyana were kind of, uh, you know, maybe a little offended by that, right? You know, I mean, you could walk around saying like, wow, who knows? Nobody knows where this country is. But like for for Taiwan's foreign ministry to hold up a map, uh, you know, maybe maybe there were some hurt feelings. I see, you know, we're on radio, but Xiao, you're laughing when I said that. Uh, But but, uh, also, uh, more seriously, I I think there's the issue of the office 
just name as well, and whether or not that uh, was something that prompted the the quick reaction from China. Because uh, as as we all know, almost all these offices worldwide are called uh, Taipei Economic and Cultural Office or Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office. There are a few offices that, uh, for various reasons, still had the word uh, Taiwan in, in their name. And within the last uh, four years, China had made an effort to pressure those host country governments to uh, request or demand that Taiwan change its name, which Taiwan did of those offices. So these uh, four or five offices worldwide that had Taiwan in the name to change it to to to. Tactico as well. Uh, so clearly, that the, the name issue is is something very sensitive for China. And Xiao, do you think maybe Moffa jumped the gun and should have probably kept stum until the office door actually opened? No, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I mean, um, but it strikes me as odd because Moffa has tend to be more conservative than this because. Uh, when I deal with the uh, officials from MoFA, they, they tend to be very tight-mouthed and then are very uh, cautious about any uh, announcement on diplomatic, you know, news. So th- this really caught me by surprise that you know MoFA is gonna uh, announce such a, uh, up, you know, encouraging press release and then just the next day to be uh, to get a slap on the face by the uh, by the Guyana government. Uh, I'm gonna disagree with with Xiao on that because I think the the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and to be fair to them, maybe they have justification to do so. It's uh, in a lot of these situations. Most frequently with the United States, they are very quick to call things a da tu po, right? Big breakthrough in in their initiatives and in their interactions with the United States or other foreign governments. So uh, I, I I would disagree that they tend to be conservative. And and I'll I'll also uh, I'll double down on the disagreement with you, Xia. I'll say even if the the office had opened its doors. And then a public announcement was made here in Taiwan. I, again, I, I think the fact that it was called Taiwan Office is a very sensitive issue for China, and there would have been uh, the same amount of pressure, maybe not to close the office, but China would have put the same pressure on uh, Guyana to, to change the office name to Taipei Economic and Cultural Office. I mean, Xiao, do you think a name change would have made changed the situation? Um, certainly. I mean, to, to be using, you know, the name Taiwan, you know, all over the globe, you know, outside of Taiwan is a major step breakthrough because I, I was living in the United States for like past 18 years and I've always had to deal with the name and whether I'm from China or from Taiwan. So um, for this government to be, you know, pushing for the name Taiwan to be on all the diplomatic offices overseas, it's it's a major breakthrough. I mean, but, I, but certainly I, I agree with Russ just said that um the MoFA people, they, 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 they really, you know. I think in the past few years, they probably get used to, you know, all the um, probably winning or breakthroughs, right? Um, but so right now, they, they probably have to sense the shift in the winds a little bit and start to become more, uh, more cautious in their strategies. But of course, Ross, it happened within twenty four hours. Uh, yeah, that that part is is certainly. Unfortunate. Uh, maybe I should use a more a more dramatic word. But but again, look, Taiwan's uh, as you said, you, they start notifying the press on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. There was a press conference. It was picked up by the international media, U.S. Uh, embassy uh, in Guyana, AIT here also issued a statement. I mean, it's clear that uh, the State Department gave a green light for for U.S. diplomatic missions. Uh, outside the U.S. to to celebrate this as well. So 
Yeah, yeah, maybe if the name had been different, maybe if this had done in a, in a more conservative manner, as Xiao said, uh, you know, it's just there was too much of a big to do too quickly, and uh, it clearly raised China's ire. And uh, you know, we have to keep in mind also, uh, China and Guyana uh, do have uh, fairly long-standing and deep relations, uh, very similar to the kinds of relations that China has with developing countries, uh, whether it's in Africa or, or Central South America. They, China provides aid. Uh, they're, they're a big investor in, in the oil field, which is going to be the source of Guyana's future wealth. Uh, so there, there was probably some hurt feelings there uh, on the Chinese side as well about the way this was handled, not so much the idea of opening an office, because there, there's another issue here we, we should keep in mind, which is Taiwan does have these offices in dozens of countries around the world that has unofficial relations. Uh, China doesn't want to see government-to-government interaction, even though these offices are, are all uh, staffed by Taiwan government officials, and they deal routinely with the host government officials. Uh, but uh, why was this different? than, say, the operations or the opening of a Taiwan office in other places around the world. Uh, and China, again, they're, they're not telling every country around the world to close the TICO. So I think there, there are some legitimate questions here, whether it's the name or, as we discussed, the, the, the method of announcing this uh, that clearly raised China's uh, ire. And Xiao, do you think maybe the U.S. government or the U.S. people in the AIT here will maybe have a word with Moffat and say, next time you do this, yeah, and we want to. We don't want to be humiliated as well. So please keep stum, and maybe we'll have some words about how you can do it better in the future. I I, I feel definitely that that conversation is taking shape in one form or another, right? Because um, the, the this kind of you know give a preamble to what's to come in Taiwan's diplomatic you know relationships, um, because this feels like status quo before uh, the last few years, right? Because Taiwan has been encountering roadblocks, roadblocks after roadblocks uh, in the diplomatic front. So th- this is puts Taiwan back in, you know, our place to make sure that in, in the future, how we should, you know, which direction we should be going. And how we should do it. Anyway, moving on, the latest about the coronavirus situation here in Taiwan. And we'll begin on Monday. There we go, the beginning of the week, when the health minister hosted an unannounced morning press conference, because they usually held at two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, which he denied a headline story that ran in the United Daily News, which claimed that Taiwan had obtained 100,000 doses of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine through diplomatic sources in the United States. Now, the report claimed the vaccines would arrive on, in th- on Thursday of this week on an Emirates flight and will be administered first to frontline medical personnel in Taoyuan. The health minister told reporters that it was wholly untrue that Taiwan had obtained the 100,000 doses of the vaccine and that people should cease speculating on the issue as misinformation will only hamper negotiations. Now skip forward to Thursday or yesterday and the Epidemic Command Centre spokesman Zhuang Renshang announced that Taiwan and other non-United Nations members countries will be allotted 1.3 million doses of the coronavirus vaccine in the first round of COVAX vaccine distribution. According to Zhuang, the delivery date is expected to be between this month and June. Now, the COVAX Global Vaccine Sharing Initiative is backed by 190 participating countries to ensure, well, that worldwide access to the vaccine is, well, equal, basically. Now, the spokesman for the Epidemic Command Centre also said that although Taiwan is not on the list as it's not a United Nations member, it and five to eight other non-UN member countries will share 1.3 million vaccine doses from AstraZeneca in the first round of 
distribution. AstraZeneca's coronavirus vaccine has not been authorised by the World Health Organisation yet for emergency use, but the spokesperson said it's expected to receive approval later this month and it could be administered here in Taiwan one week after the first shipment arrives. Now, of course, Ross, in December, the government came out and said it secured access to 4.76 million doses of vaccine through the International COVAX Allocation Programme, as well as 10 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And it also said that it's in talks with other international companies to buy 5 million doses of their vaccine. So, Ross, vaccine, we're getting some, we're not getting some, suddenly we are getting some, but not as much as we need. Well, I haven't seen any vaccines yet, have you? You just read off some very impressive numbers, especially compared to uh, the size of the population, right? You said 4 million here, 10 million there, share 1.3 million. That, that would probably be it, uh, enough to, to give uh, the herd, be, herd immunity um, if that many doses arrived in Taiwan, but uh, we haven't seen them yet. Uh, you know, there's, there's, as the minister said, seems to be a lot more speculation than, than actual fact. Uh, and uh, other countries do have access to the vaccine. You know, Taiwan's certainly a influential economic, uh, techn- technologically influential country as well. So it's, it's a bit surprising that we haven't started to see vaccines here in Taiwan compared to these other other places. So yeah, we could only just hope that uh, the, the ministers and other relevant agencies, uh, they're, they're going to be able to announce something concrete. And yeah, he's right. I mean, we should stop speculating, but it's up to them to actually uh, arrange for, for the vaccine. You know, we just haven't seen that yet. Of course, Xiao, this, this vaccine, the COVAX thing, was listed and to UN. It was tied to the UN and member states. Right, but but you can see that there's some countries in the list in the, on the list they are non UN members. So yeah, I agree with Ross that uh, right now it's all speculation. People just putting out one kind of news um, to another. It's just, so right now I I believe there's a vaccine when I uh, when I see see one, and so I'll, I'll stay in line to to get one. Wait wait, wait sorry, Xiao, <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to put you on the spot. And you, yeah. you know I love you, Xiao, but uh, can can you tell us for sure that foreigners? Right, who who are enrolled in the national health insurance, like 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 Gavin and myself, are are we going to have equal treatment to to citizens? Um, Can I, you check on that? <laughs> yes, I'll definitely check on that. Yeah, I, I certainly um, I, I don't have an answer for you on that, but I certainly hope so. Right? I mean, why would we um, discriminate against foreigners, especially when um, foreigners? I mean, they they well, they we're members of the national health insurance. Exactly, and and we're you, residents. Yeah, so. yeah, and and you you come here and you you know a lot of foreigners come here and then stay through quarantine, so they they have uh, as much stake in this as everybody else. But of course, talking about vaccines, Ross, there was also talk of chips for vaccines. Not chips as in French fries, but chips for the automotive sector. Well, you, you know, I'm an American, so we say chips. I think a potato <laughs> chips, not French fries, like, like you, you English people do. Uh, interesting, but uh, disappointing, right? It shouldn't be that way. I mean, one should have nothing to do with the I mean, what, what next, right? It's going to be like uh, the U.S. will sell some weapons in return for chips. I, I mean, where, 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 where do you go with that? Uh, I, I would hope that uh, both the government here as well as industry leaders would take the view that, that that's a rather uh, risky 
precedent to set because you just don't know how it will continue to manifest itself. Now, I, I could see where industry in the first instance, they might take the view that, oh, we're going to do something for the team. We're going to do something for, for Taiwan, for the public good, for, for uh, public health. Uh, but uh, I, I would strongly discourage the government and, and industry from uh, participating. You got to negotiate from a position of strength, not a position of desperation. Uh, so I, I just don't think that's a good idea at all. Yeah, I, I mean, an, another I mean, encouraging fun is that there are some local, you know, companies. It's developing our own local v- vaccines. So uh, some um, companies are yeah, going through the, uh, F- the Taiwan FDA approval process. So on that front, I, I would still keep my hopes up. That maybe we, we don't get the vaccine from you know international communities. We can develop our own. What about the China vaccine? <laughs> I heard on that one is only fifty percent effective. So I, I was. I'll probably stay off on that. And Ross, I mean, do you see the government, obviously the government said no, that we can't have the China vaccine? I think there's almost no likelihood that the China vaccine would would be used here. But obviously, it'd have to go through the local regulatory approval process as well. But uh, assuming that there's access to the global, more well-known uh, vaccines, possibly, as Xiao mentioned, a Taiwan vaccine, that there wouldn't even be a need for, for a China vaccine unless... Uh, it's proven to be more effective than the 50% uh, number that Xiao cited. So uh, if it truly is uh, more effective and it goes through the regulatory process, then maybe. But that would seem to be you know, option 11 on a list of 10 other options. <laughs> anyway, turning to local politics now, and we'll begin our bevy of domestic political news this week with residents of Kaohsiung's Fengshan district heading to the polling stations tomorrow to cast their ballots in a recall vote against City Councillor Huang Jia. Of course, Huang was initially elected as a member of the new power party, but has since become an independent. And we talked briefly about the recall vote a couple of weeks ago when we begged the question, will the DPP mobilise to support her? And shall the DPP, of course, have mobilised to support her? Yes, they did. Uh, and finally, and I think they made the right uh, decision, right? Because um, this is not just a recall of a single Kaohsiung you know, city councillor. Um, it is a wave of uh, recall. It's a it's a tip of the wave of recalls. It's to come because there are talks uh, in the air that uh, next will be um, you know Chen Wei or next will be uh, Wu Xiao. So I mean, after you know, Kaohsiung citizens successfully recalled the mayor Han Guoyu. Uh, there seems to be a wave of revenge recalls against uh, DPP uh, city councillors like Wang Haoyu in Zhongli, um, Taoyuan, or uh, Huang Jie in Kaohsiung. So I, I think DPP sense the danger. If they lose a series of recalls in a row, uh, they will stand at a major disadvantage coming to the 2022 election. Um, so this is the, um, the very front line that they have to stand and guard the gate. And of course, Ross, what's interesting is the DPB have mobilised, but the KMT hasn't sent any bigwigs down there to say, we need her recalled. I think the, the Kuomintang, the KMT, uh, is still organisationally uh, fairly weak. Uh, they, they really don't have a lot of resources. To, you know, they don't have money. Their assets are, are frozen. Uh, so th- whether it was Wang Haoyu or Huang Jie, this seems to be uh, uh, motivated or, or at the initiative of people who, who are probably KMT supporters, uh, but they're, they're doing it 
uh, outside the party structure, then the party just sort of jumps on and and, and supports it to the extent that they can. Uh, but I think, Gavin, you also are raising an interesting point that not only is it a resources issue, but uh, who who would the Goldby dog said that uh, like would would excite the voters of Fengshan District, right? What if Maing Zhou shows up there? Is it going to cause uh, more people to turn out to vote against Huang Jie? But if Huang Jie is going to be be uh, recalled successfully, it, again, it, it's probably just local people saying uh, she wasn't looking at local issues. I mean, that, uh, in my opinion, that was why the, the Wang Haoyu uh, recall was successful. It was, it was the people who supported it making the case to the public that the, you know, this guy was uh, very often talking about non-district issues. You know, he had a reputation for speaking uh, on TV or on his Facebook about national issues, about uh, Han Goyu, about uh, other other issues that were more like for a legislator uh, than for a, a city councilor. Uh, so I think if, if the recall is going to be successful tomorrow, it's, it's not because the Guomindang has resources or some all-star who could go down there and persuade the voters. It, it's really whether or not the, the people could who are leading this could make the case, convince the voters that uh, she's not doing her job as a city councilor. Now, uh, I read her defense, in, you know, in the, this package of documents that was submitted to the Central Election Commission. The, the people who support the initiative uh, oddly cited that she might have violated the, the national security law in Hong Kong because uh, she was uh, you know, vocal in her support or raising money for people in Hong Kong. I thought that was a bit odd. Uh, but uh, in her defense, uh, after starting out with with some, uh, I would say, fairly irrelevant and stuff talking about oh I'm just a I was just a, a young lady and I had no political experience and I got involved in politics you know so all the nice kind of fluffy fluffy background information you know she finally did get into the the specifics and say here's what I've been doing in the district here's how many uh, you know, the meetings I've had with constituents and here's some initiatives that I've been working on whether it's things related to roads or education I mean the stuff you expect a city councilor to do so uh, I still think that's what it'll come down to and, and then you know it's it's fun for the talking heads like us to say oh it's revenge it's it's about Hong Yu, China's behind it all. I think ultimately it's about about doing stuff for the constituents in the district. And Xiao, do you think she'll be recalled or do you think she'll be okay? I think she'll be fine because, uh, number one, she enjoys so much um, popularity ever since she wrote her eye at Hong Yu in a city council um, speech, right? That that really sparked the, uh, the, the I mean, the especially young people's, you know, paying attention to the farce that's going on in Kaohsiung uh, about, you know, how how, 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 how lousy mayor Han Yu was and really make people pay attention to that whole thing. Um, so to be more nuanced about, you know, the, the different the, the recalls, the, talking about the odd reasons of the, 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 the group they're trying to recall Huang Jie, they even cited that because Huang Jie put on a makeup because she is uh, she's a homosexual, or she because she's uh, you know doing this and that. So it's just they they don't have a legitimate reason. Well, well wait, no, no. They said she put on lipstick when she went to the memorial for the city uh, council president who who uh, committed suicide following the recall, which she was involved in supporting. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Xiao, but when you go to a, 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 a the local culture, when you go to a memorial. 
you're, you're supposed to look like, you know, it's the most horrible thing that's ever happened and you're not supposed to put makeup on. So, uh, you know, politically, that may have been actually a smart thing for the, the supporters to cite. I, I don't know if it'll be successful, no. but, but if they're trying to make the case that, <laughs> that you know, she's, she's just looking for media coverage and, and you know, she was just all about Hongo Yu and not really all about doing stuff for constituents, you know, they could make the case that, look, you know, she... You know, it was also fake the way she dressed up when we know she didn't even like the guy at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I agree with the, the Ross points there, but it's just all in all. I mean, the the group is targeting Huang Jie um, out of a singular reason. That's because she is kind of been seen as a as an early symbol of this anti you know anti Han Guoyu forces, and and so it's a lot different than the recall for Wang Haoyu, which is successful, and because Wang Haoyu is not really. Um, popular uh, nationally, just like Russ said. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Now, talk show host, political pundit, former Taipei city councillor and former lawmaker, Zhao Xiaokang is rejoining the KMT, the party he left nearly three decades ago to help found the new party. The 70-year-old Zhao is being welcomed back into the fold by KMT chairman Johnny Jung, who on Wednesday announced that he plans to appoint Zhao to serve as a member of the party's central executive committee. Speaking during a KMT weekly cabinet standing committee meeting, Jung told party officials, that he welcomes Zhao's return to the KMT as he believes it's a good sign for the party's unity and is expected to attract more supporters to the Pan Blue camp. Now, whilst Zhao has been touting his plans to seek the party's leadership in this year's chairmanship election, there are some questions as to whether he's actually allowed to do that because, of course, if he joins the party, there's a one-year wait before anyone can basically run for the leadership and he also has to be a member of a, an executive committee within the KMT. But there have been calls for those rules to be lifted or made a wee bit more flexible to allow him to be made eligible. And on Thursday evening, the KMT chairman, Johnny Jung, met with former new Taipei Mayor Eric Ju and former President Ma ying to discuss the issue of whether Zhao could run in the party chairmanship election after renewing his party membership. Johnny Jung has also reportedly held similar talks over the past several days with former Taipei Mayor Hao Long Bin and former KMT chairman Udon Yi. And if all that wasn't enough to stoke your interest, then speaking to reporters on, well, on Thursday again, Zhao said that he plans to run for the presidency in 2024. And if elected president, his first task will be to restore Zhong Tian News's broadcast licence and allow the network to return to cable television channel 52. So, Ross, Zhao Xiaokang returns to the KMT. Not only does he want to be KMT chairman, he also wants to be president and put Zhong Tian back on channel 52. Well, with regard to the latter, uh, if he does participate in a primary or let's say he's not eligible to be the KMT candidate, but they devise some kind of joint nomination structure with whether it's the, the new party or the people's first party, if they're still around, uh, the, 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 the way he would win that would be to get the, the base of support uh, from from those voters, so uh, the, the, those people do watch Zhong Tian. So no surprise that he's appealing uh, in the first instance to really the the core of support he would need to become uh, a presidential nominee representing all the the 
the the parties in that camp, uh, and then he could worry about what, whether or not he, he could win a win the national election. But first, he needs to become become the candidate. So understandable that that he would be appealing to that segment of of the voters uh, in the first instance, including resolving these these issues with with uh, his status eligibility, uh, you know, the Kuomintang, and, and periodically Minjindang and other parties as well. They have a habit of adjusting these rules pretty frequently. Uh, you know, some candidate comes along who's who's popular uh, but maybe not eligible. They, they they'll, they'll have a party congress and and change the rules. Uh, that that's just something that they they've done throughout their history. Uh, yeah, in the Kuomintang's case, basically forever, ever since their founding. So uh, probably not an insurmountable hurdle um, from an operational perspective. The issue is uh, current chairman Johnny Jiang, whether or not he wants to uh, facilitate that or he wants to insist on, uh, you know, we're not going to change the rules for one individual. And that would, of course, protect uh, his position should he want to run again, keeping in mind that the Kuomintang chairman election is coming up this year. It's not far off. Uh, it's, it's When Jiang was elected last year, that was a, a by-election to finish the, the, the current term of uh, Wu Duni, which began in 2017 as a four-year term. So uh, it, it's certainly a lot of pressure now on, on Mr. Zhang. There's been a lot of criticism internally of his leadership of the party. Uh, to be fair to him, there's a lot of obstacles to making the party successful, starting with the fact that their brand image is pretty bad. That's why they did so poorly in the elections last year. Uh, and as we were talking earlier, they don't have a lot of resources. So that's that's another obstacle that he's dealing with. Uh, uh, broadly, though, I, I think supporters of, of the Kuomintang should be happy about this. Uh, for that segment of the voting population, Zhao is very well liked. He's, he's a popular uh, commentator. Uh, he was fairly uh, well regarded as a city councilor, as a legislator. He certainly has the the academic and the uh, political experience to be a politician again, should he choose to do so. Uh, ultimately, though, whether or not he's he's a, a winning candidate nationally, uh, keeping in mind that he, he would be saying, uh, let's return to the 92 consensus when the question comes to, to cross-strait relations, uh, whether ultimately whether or not that is a winning position for the public, uh, I wouldn't be optimistic just based on last year's election results. And of course, Xiao, well, I'm not saying, I'm not being ageist, but of course the, the KMT came along, Johnny Jung came along, touted the need to get younger members in the party, the younger vote. Zhao Shakung is 70 years old. So, I mean, where's the younger vote going to come from there? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is why I view this as, as a huge step backwards, right? Because Zhao Shakung ran for uh, Taipei mayor when I when I was a teenager growing up in Taipei. Um, I remember vividly that he uh, he lost and then he got really mad and then he left KMT to start a, a new KMT. I mean, so which in terms of spectrum is... is, is deep deep blue so him re- returning to KMT and then even uh, a strong you know internal voices calling for him to you know to, for the party to bend the rules to allow him to uh, to be a chairman signals that the KMT is moving you know to uh, to its base so uh, meaning that they have no um, desire to uh, appeal to um, you know younger voters, younger you know KMT-minded um, voters as well. So th- this is this just tells us that KMT is really running out of um, you know strategies in their playbooks to you know keep growing and then keep winning elections. They need to look to the uh, the the um, 
older generation who have a louder microphone because Zhao Xiaokang is, is like a media personality. His shows garners uh, millions of views on YouTube and radios and, and, and television. So, I mean, his, his base is really, really um, pro-China. So I, is that, that's the direction KMT is going. Um, I, 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 I feel that they, they have uh, less as a chance of taking national office in the future. And, of course, that seems to be the opposite direction that Johnny Jiang wanted to reform the party to. Uh, well, it depends how you define reform. Uh, loosely. Very, very <laughs> loosely. Well, but that, that, I mean, the reason why I say that, Gavin, is it goes back to the point I made a few minutes ago with regard to the China policy. So uh, one of the loose reforms uh, that, that Jiang uh, implemented was basically to restate the same China policy that that the party, uh, broadly speaking, still supports the 92 consensus as the basis for Taiwan-China relations, and as I said earlier, that might not be sellable to to uh, you know a winning number of voters in, in a national election. It might only be sellable to 40 percent or so. You know the the number that that voted for Hong Yu or voted nationally for Guomindang on the party list. Uh, they, oh, there there could be a ceiling there. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean they're pro-China. Those are millions of people. I don't think that they, they want to sell out Taiwan. It just means that they support the 92 consensus. Uh, it might be the minority view, but that doesn't mean they want to give away Taiwan either. Uh, you know, It might be a bad model for cross-strait relations, but I, I, I mean, we should be fair to them. It doesn't mean millions of people in Taiwan are pro-China. Well, I mean, if you are for 92 consensus, you are pro-China. I mean, and pro-China does not equal to selling out Taiwan. They want to reunite with China. And under that circumstances, definitely Taiwan is, uh, is um, well, it's not sold out, but it's going to be in a very deep, deep trouble. So, um, but 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 picking up on that on that point, I mean, Han Guoyu supports Zhao Xiaokan. So th- this really points to a, a leadership vacuum in KMT that, um, you know, number one, they still Han Guoyu still enjoys tremendous support, but uh, but people feel that you know Han Guoyu is not appealing to the more upper class elitist members of KMT. So that's where Zhao Xiaokan came in. So I mean, their alliance can really create a strong strong you know. Um, you know, powerful position to take the KMT to uh, to uh, the next position that they want to be in. And Ross, why do you think he wanted to rejoin the KMT? He's got a popular radio show, popular on you on the internet show. He's a host all over the TV. When you turn it on certain channels, he also gets paid for doing all that. So why? Well, I, guess, I, I, I guess he's got enough money, and uh, <laughs> he, he's he's achieved everything that's possible in the media space. Uh, I, I think he even made some musical records in the past as well. So, <laughs> so uh, he, as you said, he's successful on TV, uh, radio. Uh, there's not much more to do there. But uh, you know, look, uh, we had this conversation about. Guo Taiming, Terry Guo, the guy's at the pinnacle of industry. He could just keep making lots of money. Why do you want to try and uh, win the KMT nomination? And he, he didn't even win that. Uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, why do you do it? Well, you know, pe- people uh, in a certain status of, of life, they think uh, you know, they could contribute to their country and they think uh, uh, people love them. Sometimes they overestimate that, uh, but... but uh, they they think they might get elected as uh, uh, whether it's legislator or politician uh, president mayor so 
Yeah, not not a surprise, and especially in his case, uh, you know, unlike Guo Taiming, unlike Terry Guo, uh, at least Zhao Xiaokang has done that before, right? He has been elected to office as, as a city councilor as well as a legislator. So uh, you can't say that the guy has no hope of being elected to something because he's actually been elected. But notwithstanding, as Zhao said, it's going to be thirty over thirty years since he was last elected to office. So you know, he's, you know sometimes once a politician, you're always a politician. You you have that that. That bug inside, you know, some would say an illness that you keep running for office. And in news from the DPP this week, Enoch Wu, the Deputy Chief Executive Officer of the New Frontier Foundation, was elected as Chairman of the Taipei Office of the DPP. Now, Wu was elected to head the office after securing over 2,000 votes in Sunday's election. And party officials say he will now take office within the next two weeks. The post had been vacant for about six months and... Wu will be heading a DPP chapter into next year's Taipei mayoral and city councillor elections. Now, he has said that his main goal will be to lead the party to win a majority of the councillor seats in the elections. However, he's also being seen in some circles as a potential DPP contender for the post of Taipei mayor himself. So, Xiao, there you go. The DPP's Taipei chapter have a new chairman. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have to tip my hat to DPP for this play. This is really... Uh Really interesting, um, because if you remember last time they are running this uh, uh, Taipei chapter of chairman elections, it was really ugly. It was a contentious fight between two party insiders, um, and they attack each other viciously, uh, almost to the point they're gonna tear up the whole, you know, party. So that's why the uh, the, the the DPP chairman called off the election and then cool everybody off. And then, so for for a while, people just wondered if DPP is going to have a Taipei chapter chairman at all. Then now, you know, the news surfaced that Inawu is interested, um, which by itself is a surprise because Inawu is not known to be um, somebody who has the capability to, to run a local party chapter. Because for that, you really need to serious people's skills right you need to go behind the scenes you need to talk to you know folks that you would normally talk to so i mean for him to actually throw himself in the ring and then accept the challenge and then not not right now successfully winning the approval of uh, all the local you know party members i i think i i have a strong hope for um enoch to uh, actually you know bring the the the, the dpp in taipei for some uh, freshness but is he is he a taipei mayoral contender shall um, for that, I'm, I don't think so, because he himself already said that he considered himself to uh, as a contender for the 2024 um, legislator um, seat that the seat that he narrowly lost to uh, Jiang Wanan. So I um, mean, he already declared he won't be a um, candidate for, for for the mayor. So that's why the, the 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 job of you know picking the strong candidate that's gonna run against uh, KMT it, it falls on him squarely on the shoulders. Well, I think uh, to to answer your question, Gavin, he's going to be a candidate for whatever the party decides. You know, it's clear that people at a higher level than him, uh, maybe the chairman, who's also the president, uh, have a, another senior leadership. They they have great hopes for him, and uh, you know they're going to uh, make arrangements for for him to uh, have a path to success. Whether uh, that includes something like being the chairman of the the Taipei uh, Party Committee, uh, and subsequently whether it was to run for mayor or run for a legislative seat. Again, you know, the, 
it's not unusual for parties to clear the way, you know, kind of quietly persuade any other potential candidates who are thinking of joining a primary not to do so. You know, sometimes these things are, are heavily negotiated, and it seems to be that he's he's been identified as a, a future all-star. Uh, but now he's taken on this task of uh, what what uh, in America we call retail politics, as Xiao was discussing. You, know, you really need to be, be in, in the neighborhoods to, to be a successful uh, head of, of the city party organization. And you, know, you, you got to help clear clear the way for, for the Lijiang, the borough chief elections and, and the city council elections. And keeping in mind that the city council are, uh, are still multi-member constituencies. So there could be primaries and you have to deal with a lot of individuals and personalities. Uh, it's, it's a challenging job for somebody who frankly has very little experience experience with this other than the period when he was running for for the the, the legislative seat. So a uh, big, big challenge for him. You know, we'll see how he does. And Xiao, it could be argued that he was parachuted in because, of course, technically he hasn't been living in Taiwan very long. Uh, that's exactly true. I mean, um, the, the party even, you know, change some rules, just like we talk about for good camp. No! Yes. Wow! Yes. I am shocked. Shocked to find out that this has occurred in, in a democratic uh, party uh, country, rule of law. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yes, so like, he's definitely parachuting, but uh, I mean, th- th- yeah, they have high hopes for this, uh, for this parachute, right? Because, I mean, just like I said, the reason I think you know, it's not going to be considered as a 2022 mayor candidates because just like Russ said, the retail parks is really need to get your hands dirty. And if he's prepping for 2022, he would not accept this post as a city, you know, party chairman because that's going to um, require a lot of things that like, it's probably going to not just bar him, but probably just disable him a bit for to be a strong 2022 candidate. Is this even meant to be a full-time job, Xiao, you know, to be the head of the party committee for Taipei City? I think it's definitely a full-time job because he needs to, you know, find the uh, resources for his candidates and to find the candidates. He needs to, you know, number one job is to identify a strong 22-22 mayor candidate. So it's, he's probably not going to sit in an office full-time, but it's a full-time responsibility. And where will he be looking, Ross, for this candidate? Well, if we look at the history uh, on this question, the, there has been contentious primaries, and, and sometimes it attracts people who may have been elected to office earlier in their career. Uh, and you, you say, like, well, they have no hope of winning, but you know, you know that they they might also still get like eight, ten, twelve percent. You think about someone like former Vice President Lucio Lied, uh Guli Xiong, maybe you say, okay, these are these are political personalities, but they're they're joining this primary that you know they probably have no hope. But again, you say, where are you going to look? Well, there'll probably be three or four people who who are going to uh, try and run. You know, probably some well-known city councilors. Uh, there's always you know, mentioned the word parachute. There's always the person who parachutes in from some other part of Taiwan. Like now we're talking about potentially Hong Guo is going to run for mayor, maybe in Taoyuan or something, right? So that's not. Uh, uh, unusual phenomenon in Taiwan politics either that you know, somebody might come from a different part of Taiwan and say, I'm going to run in the DPP primary. So again, yeah, it brings us back to, to young Mr. Wu and whether or not he's going to help clear the way for a specific candidate. But uh, you know, we just don't have an answer to your question, Gavin, now who that candidate would be. Well, that's what we have to leave it here then here on Taiwan this week. Thank you, Ross, for that outro. And of course, I've been joining the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And 
and Xiaoxing Chung. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And there won't be a show next Friday, February the 12th, as we'll all be away for the Lunar New Year holiday and avoiding the crowds, but we will return on February the 19th. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app in the meantime, where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.